Chapter Fifty Nine of Ten Years Later. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eden Ray Hedrick. Ten Years Later by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Fifty Nine. Something that neither Naiad nor Dryad foresaw. Saint-Aignan stopped at the foot of the staircase leading to the entrance hall, where the maids of honour were lodged, and to the first floor, where Madame's apartments were situated. Then, by means of one of the servants, who was passing, he sent to apprise Malicorne, who was still with Monsieur. After having waited ten minutes, Malicorne arrived, full of self-importance. The king drew back towards the darkest part of the vestibule. Saint-Aignan, on the contrary, advanced to meet him, but at the first words indicating his wish, Malicorne drew back abruptly. "'Oh, oh,' he said, "'you want me to introduce you into the rooms of the maids of honor? "'Yes. "'You know very well I cannot do anything of the kind "'without being made acquainted with your object.' "'Unfortunately, my dear Monsieur Malicorne, "'it is quite impossible for me to give you any explanation. "'You must therefore confide in me as in a friend.' who got you out of a great difficulty yesterday, and who now begs you to draw him out of one to-day. Yet I told you, monsieur, what my object was, which was not to sleep out in the open air, and any man might express the same wish, whilst you, however, admit nothing. Believe me, my dear Monsieur Malicorne, Saint-Aignan persisted, that if I were permitted to explain myself, I would do so. In that case, my dear monsieur, it is impossible for me to allow you to enter Mademoiselle de Montalais's apartment. Why so? You know why better than any one else. Since you caught me on the wall paying my addresses to Mademoiselle de Montalais, it would, therefore, be an excess of kindness on my part, you will admit, since I am paying my attentions to her, to open the door of her room to you. But who told you it was on her account I asked you for the key? For whom, then? She does not lodge there alone, I suppose. No, certainly, for Mademoiselle de la Vallière shares her rooms with her. But really, you have nothing more to do with Mademoiselle de la Vallière than with Mademoiselle de Montalais, and there are only two men to whom I would give this key, to Monsieur de Bragelonne, if he begged me to give it to him, and to the king, if he commanded me. In that case, give me the key, monsieur. I order you to do so, said the king advancing from the obscurity, and partially opening his cloak. Mademoiselle de Montalais will step down to talk with you, while we go upstairs to Mademoiselle de la Vallière, for, in fact, it is she only whom we desire to see. "'The king!' exclaimed Malicorne, bowing to the very ground. "'Yes, the king,' said Louis, smiling. "'The king, who is as pleased with your resistance as with your capitulation. Rise, monsieur, and render us the service we request of you.' "'I obey, Your Majesty,' said Malicorne, leading the way up the staircase. "'Get Mademoiselle de Montalais to come down,' said the king, "'and do not breathe a word to her of my visit.' Malicorne bowed in token of obedience, and proceeded up the staircase. But the king, after a hasty reflection, followed him, and that, too, with such rapidity that, although Malicorne was already more than halfway up the staircase, the king reached the room at the same moment. He then observed, by the door which remained half-opened behind Malicorne, La Rayère, sitting in an armchair, with her head thrown back, 
and in the opposite corner of Montalais, who, in her dressing-gown, was standing before a looking-glass, engaged in arranging her hair, and parleying the while with Malicorne. The king hurriedly opened the door, and entered the room. Montalais called out at the noise made by the opening of the door, and, recognizing the king, made her escape. La Valliere rose from her seat, like a dead person galvanized, and then fell back in her armchair. The king advanced slowly towards her. "'You wished for an audience, I believe,' he said coldly. "'I am ready to hear you. Speak.' Saint-Aignan, faithful to his character of being deaf, blind, and dumb, had stationed himself in a corner of the door, upon a stool which by chance he had found there. Concealed by the tapestry which covered the doorway, and leaning his back against the wall, he could thus listen without being seen, resigning himself to the post of a good watchdog, who patiently sits and watches, without ever getting in his master's way. La Valliere, terror-stricken at the king's irritated aspect, rose a second time, and assuming a posture full of humility and entreaty, murmured, "'Forgive me, sire!' "'What need is there for my forgiveness?' asked Louis. "'Sire, I have been guilty of a great fault, nay, more than a great fault, a great crime.' "'You?' "'Sire, I have offended your majesty.' "'Not in the slightest degree in the world,' replied Louis. "'I implore you, sire, not to maintain towards me that terrible seriousness of manner which reveals your majesty's just anger. I feel I have offended you, sire.' but I wish to explain to you how it was that I have not offended you of my own accord. "'In the first place,' said the king, "'in what way can you possibly have offended me? I cannot perceive how. Surely not on account of a young girl's harmless and very innocent jest. You turn the credulity of a young man into ridicule. It was very natural to do so. Any other woman in your place would have done the same.' "'Oh, your majesty overwhelms me by your remark.' "'Why so?' "'Because—' If I had been the author of the jest, it would not have been innocent. Well, is that all you have to say to me in soliciting an audience? said the king, as though about to turn away. Thereupon La Valliere, in an abrupt and a broken voice, her eyes dried up by the fire of her tears, made a step towards the king and said, Did your majesty hear everything? Everything? What? Everything I said beneath the royal oak? I did not lose a syllable. And now, after your majesty rarely heard all, are you able to think I abused your credulity? Credulity, yes, indeed. You have selected the very word. And your majesty did not suppose that a poor girl like myself might possibly be compelled to submit to the will of others? Forgive me, returned the king, but I shall never be able to understand that she, who, of her own free will, could express herself so unreservedly beneath the royal oak, would allow herself to be influenced to such an extent by the direction of others. But the threat held out against me, sire. Threat? Who threatened you? Who dared to threaten you? Those who have the right to do so, sire. I do not recognize anyone as possessing the right to threaten the humblest of my subjects. Forgive me, sire, but near your majesty, even, there are persons sufficiently high in position to have, or to believe that they possess, the right of injuring a young girl without fortune, and possessing only her reputation. In what way injure her? In depriving her of her reputation, by disgracefully expelling her from the court. Oh, Mademoiselle de la Valliere, said the king bitterly, I prefer those persons to exculpate themselves without incriminating others. Sire! Yes, and I confess that I greatly regret to perceive 
that an easy justification as your own would have been is now complicated in my presence by a tissue of reproaches and imputations against others and which you do not believe exclaimed la valliere the king remained silent nay but tell me repeated la valliere vehemently i regret to confess it repeated the king bowing coldly the young girl uttered a deep groan striking her hands together in despair you do not believe me then she said to the king who remained silent while poor la valliere's features became visibly changed at his continued silence therefore you believe she said that i prearranged this ridiculous this infamous plot of trifling in so shameless a manner with your majesty nay said the king it was neither ridiculous nor infamous it was not even a plot merely a jest more or less amusing and nothing more oh murmured the young girl the king does not and will not believe me then no indeed i will not believe you said the king besides in point of fact what can be more natural the king you argue follows me listens to me watches me the king wishes perhaps to amuse himself at my expense i will amuse myself at his and as the king is very tender-hearted i will take his heart by storm la valliere hid her face in her hands as she stifled her sobs the king continued pitilessly he was revenging himself upon the poor victim before him for all he had himself suffered let us invent then a story of my loving him and preferring him to others the king is so simple and so conceited that he will believe me and then we can go and tell others how credulous the king is and can enjoy a laugh at his expense oh exclaimed la valliere you think that you believe that it is frightful and pursued the king that is not all if this self-conceited prince take our jests seriously if he should be imprudent enough to exhibit before others anything like delight at it well in that case the king will be humiliated before the whole court and what a delightful story it will be too for him to whom i am really attached in fact part of my dowry for my husband to have the adventure to relate of the monarch who was so amusingly deceived by a young girl sire exclaimed la valliere her mind bewildered almost wandering indeed not another word i implore you do you not see that you are killing me a jest nothing but a jest murmured the king who however began to be somewhat affected la valliere fell upon her knees and that so violently that the sound could be heard upon the hard floor sire she said i prefer shame to disloyalty what do you mean inquired the king without moving a step to raise the young girl from her knees sire when i shall have sacrificed my honour and my reason both to you you will perhaps believe in my loyalty the tale which was related to you in madame's apartments and by madame herself is utterly false and that which i said beneath the great oak well that is the only truth what exclaimed the king sire exclaimed la valliere hurried away by the violence of her emotions were i to die of shame on the very spot where my knees are fixed I would repeat it until my latest breath. I said that I love you, and it is true. I do love you. You? I have loved you, sire, from the very first day I ever saw you, from the moment when, at Blois, when I was pining away my existence, your royal looks, full of light and life, were first bent upon me. I love you still, sire. It is a crime of high treason, I know, that a poor girl like myself should love her sovereign, and should presume to tell him so punish me for my audacity despise me for my shameless immodesty but do not ever say do not ever think 
that I have jested with or deceived you. I belong to a family whose loyalty has been proved, sire, and I, too, love my king. Suddenly her strength, voice, and respiration ceased, and she fell forward, like the flower Virgil alludes to, which the scythe of the reaper severed in the midst of the grass. The king, at these words, at this vehement entreaty, no longer retained any ill-will or doubt in his mind. His whole heart seemed to expand at the glowing breath of an affection which proclaimed itself in such noble and courageous language. When, therefore, he heard the passionate confession, his strength seemed to fail him, and he hid his face in his hands. But when he felt La Vallière's hands clinging to his own, when their warm pressure fired his blood, he bent forward, and, passing his arms round La Vallière's waist, he raised her from the ground and pressed her against his heart. But she, her drooping head fallen forward on her bosom, seemed to have ceased to live. The king, terrified, called out for Saint-Aignan. Saint-Aignan, who had carried his discretion so far as to remain without stirring his corner, pretending to wipe away a tear, ran forward at the king's summons. He then assisted Louis to seat the young girl upon a couch, slapped her hands, sprinkled some Hungary water over her face, calling out all the while, "'Come, come, it is all over. The king believes you and forgives you. There, there, now.' take care or you will agitate his majesty too much his majesty is so sensitive so tender-hearted now really mademoiselle de la valliere you must pay attention for the king is very pale the fact was the king was visibly losing color but la valliere did not move do pray recover continued saint I beg, I implore you, it is really time you should. Think only of one thing, that if the king should become unwell, I should be obliged to summon his physician. What a state of things that would be! So do pray rouse yourself, make an effort, pray do, and do so at once, my dear. It was difficult to display more persuasive eloquence than Saint-Aignan did, but something still more powerful and of a more energetic nature than this eloquence, aroused La Vallière. The king, who was kneeling before her, covered the palms of her hands with those burning kisses, which are to the hands what a kiss upon the lips is to the face. La Vallière's senses returned to her. She languidly opened her eyes, and, with a dying look, murmured, "'Oh, sire, has your majesty pardoned me, then?' The king did not reply, for he was still too much overcome. Saint-Aignan thought it was his duty again to retire, for he observed the passionate devotion which was displayed in the king's gaze. La Vallière rose. "'And now, sire, that I have justified myself, at least I trust so, in your majesty's eyes, grant me leave to retire into a convent. I shall bless your majesty all my life, and I shall die thanking and loving heaven for having granted me one hour of perfect happiness.' "'No, no,' replied the king. You will live here, blessing heaven, on the contrary, but loving Louis, who will make your existence one of perfect felicity. Louis, who loves you. Louis, who swears it. Oh, sire, sire! And upon this doubt of La Vallière, the king's kisses became so warm that Saint-Aignan thought it was his duty to retire behind the tapestry. These kisses, however, which she had not the strength at first to resist, began to intimidate the young girl. Oh, sire! she exclaimed. Do not make me repeat my loyalty, for this would show me that your majesty despises me still. Mademoiselle de la Vallière, said the king, suddenly drawing back with an air full of respect. 
there is nothing in the world that i love and honour more than yourself and nothing in my court i call heaven to witness shall be so highly regarded as you shall be henceforward i entreat your forgiveness for my transport it rose from an excess of affection but i can prove to you that i love you more than ever by respecting you as much as you could possibly desire or deserve then bending before her and taking her by the hand he said to her will you honour me by accepting the kiss i press upon your hand and the king's lips were pressed respectfully and lightly upon the young girl's trembling hand henceforth added louis rising and bending his glance upon la valliere henceforth you are under my safeguard do not speak to any one of the injury i have done you forgive others that which they may have attempted for the future you shall be so far above all those that far from inspiring you with fear they shall be even beneath your pity and he bowed as reverently as though he were leaving a place of worship then calling to saint-aignan who approached with great humility he said i hope comte that mademoiselle de la valliere will kindly confer a little of her friendship upon you in return for that which i have vowed to her eternally saint-aignan bent his knee before la valliere saying how happy indeed would such an honour make me i will send your companion back to you said the king farewell or rather adieu till we meet again do not forget me in your prayers i entreat oh cried la valliere be assured that you and heaven are in my heart together these words of louise elated the king who full of happiness hurried saint-aignan down the stairs madame had not anticipated this denouement and neither the naiad nor the dryad had breathed a word about it end of chapter fifty nine